Vera Podcast. Research matters. Hello, welcome to this podcast on scholarly peer review for early career researchers. My name is Sin Wang Chong. I'm the Northern Ireland representative of the ECR network at Vera, and I'm also an educational researcher interested in assessment feedback in higher education. Joining me today is Dr. Shannon Mason from Nagasaki University in Japan. Shannon, welcome. Thank you. Nice to see you again. Yeah. Do, do you want to say a few words about yourself? Yes, I'm, an, I'm also an ECR. I'm based in Japan, originally from Australia. I do research that extends right from P12 up to PhD um, but more recently, I've been interested in uh, the development of early career researchers and particularly on uh, research dissemination, publication, peer review, all those types of things. Yeah, yeah. So Shannon and I actually did uh, one podcast previously on on uh, peer review in the previous episode uh, we discussed some questions that ECRs may have on peer review, uh, especially in relation to how they can respond to peer reviewers' feedback effectively. Um, today, our focus is on whether ECRs can or should serve as peer reviewers. So, Shannon, shall we get started? Yeah, sounds good. So, I've got the first question. And the question is, why should I be a peer reviewer? So I think it's it's a very important question to think about. And I think for me, the first reason why I would like to be a peer reviewer is that I would have access to the latest development of research in the field that I'm interested in. Because usually when when journals approach us, I think they either we have published with them or you know, we have published something in this in a in a topic which is related to the manuscript. So, uh, for example, I'm interested in assessment feedback, and I may get a chance uh, to review another article on on feedback. And in this way, I get a chance to you know read the latest research and kind of you know offer comments to improve the research. Yes, I mean, primarily, uh, if we are thinking about ourselves, I think this will be the number one reason. How about you, Shannon? Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. And another reason that I wanted to to do review uh, is that I guess people are reviewing my work and they're taking the time to do that. So to be part of the community is to give back uh, and to do my share. So... Uh, yeah, I think that's that's another reason why people might like to to become a reviewer. And I also think that um, another reason, I think related to what you said about giving back and contributing to the community, we also have our say in shaping the future of our field to a certain extent, right? I, I think this this is quite meaningful, you know, thinking long term, you know, what kind of research we would like to see uh, in our field. So, I mean, there there are obviously a lot of benefits uh, for us to become a reviewer. But I think the more realistic uh, question for ECRs is that, you know, how can I become a peer re- reviewer? Because, you know, yeah, I agree, maybe uh, we should serve as a peer reviewer. It's meaningful. Uh, but how can I become one? I think what most, what happens in the case of many people, at least those who I've talked to, is that they wait and one day they get an email and it's an invitation to review and it's very exciting 
because what it means is that you've published and your work is out there and has been recognised and you have been chosen. Uh, but why someone is chosen is kind of up, up to many different factors and some of it is just good luck. So there are different ways uh, to get getting yourself out there uh, if you wanted to try and, uh, I guess, proactively find opportunities to review. Uh, the first is to go and have a look at the journals that you're interested in, particularly the ones that you review, uh, that you have authored in, and see if they have opportunities to join a, a committee or a pool of reviewers. Some, some journals do do that. You can reach out to the editors and say, look, I'm interested, I'm an ECR, these are my areas of expertise. If something comes up, uh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to, to have a go. Uh, and then just getting, I think, telling people, because what also happens is that uh, when authors uh, submit a manuscript, they often are asked to nominate some people who may be available for review. So if, if people in your field know that you're available and willing to review, they may put your name name down there. I mean, this is one of the, the ways that I, how I started becoming a peer reviewer is to by looking at the websites of the journals which I have published in and and sometimes they have a call for for peer reviewers and I just submitted uh, my CV and you know uh, that's that's how I started um, another way of course uh, is through your network right so maybe your supervisor maybe you know you you meet somebody uh, editors or somebody on the editorial board in a conference and you know uh, they, they attended your presentation they uh, they thought about you when they came across the manuscript, right? So I, I think another important way is to really to network with people. And of course, I, I, I know this is very difficult, especially during the pandemic, uh, you know, when conferences may not be uh, possible. I mean, face-to-face -face conferences, but it, it's important to kind of, you know, look around and see whether you can actually ask your supervisors, you know, whether uh, they have had, they, they have uh, such opportunities. I, I remember there was one instance uh, in which the manuscript was actually assigned to uh, one of my mentors. And then he, he couldn't review that because he was too busy. And then he kind of passed it on to me and asked if I, I would like to review it. And then he recommended me to the journal. Um, and that's how I became a peer reviewer for that journal since then. Um, and another way I, I think it's to start, you know, sometimes because journals, they don't often call for peer reviewers, especially those established journals. They have their own pool uh, of reviewers. But I think starting to review for conferences or symposia maybe a, a first step because you know whenever there's a symposium there's a conference they need people to review so uh I, I think that can be a first step and sometimes when you apply for a peer reviewer they ask you for experiences in peer review so i think you know uh, reviewing for conferences can you know help you build that portfolio your profile as a as a peer reviewer yeah, that's really good advice. And I, I think that network and, and getting yourself out there is is really important. And I guess that it will come to a point perhaps uh, after several years where you may start to get more invitations than you can take on. 
So my next question is, how do you decide what to accept and what not to accept? Mm-hmm. Um, I think especially for ECRs who maybe this is the first time that you receive an invitation, I think it's very important for you to consider very seriously whether the scope of the study is within your area of expertise. You have to be uh, very careful about the the methodology that is reported in the abstract that is sent to you, whether you feel comfortable or you you know you have expertise or you have experience at least uh, conducting research using that particular methodology. Why I say this is especially important for somebody who has never done it before is because you start to build your reputation. Um, so I, I mean, Shen, you will know as an associate editor that the editor will rank the uh, comments given by the peer reviewers. So it, it's not like we're uh, we're saying, you know, some people review better than the others. We're not trying to say this, but it's, it's really a, like a record uh, in the future. When we find people in the system, we, we have this record to see of oh, this person has reviewed for us and he or she did a pretty good job. And oh, so I, I can send him or her another invitation. So I think it's about building your reputation as a reviewer. So your first uh, invitation is especially important to me that you have to look at the abstract. So I I forgot to mention that when they send you an invitation, they will include the abstract. They won't include the whole thing, but the abstract. So pay attention to the topic and especially, I think, um, the methodology um, as well. Yeah, I I think that's really really important what you say. And uh, often with the automated invitations to review, there'll be an option to uh, not accept. And often there's a a chance to share why. So it's not that you're really busy or you don't want to, but it might say something like, this is not within my scope or I'm not familiar with the methodology. So that the editors know that you are interested, but just in this particular instance. um, Yeah, but I think... For me, a time is a really important uh, factor. There's only so much time in a day and I want to do a good job on the review. So if, you know, just as a guide myself, if I think I can't fit it in in the next week, then I just won't accept it. I mean, it's not often the case that I can finish within that week, but it's kind of a gauge to say, yep, I've got enough time to dedicate to this because I do want to do a good job. Um yeah, so the time, and for me also, um, f- if I'm very familiar with the journal, you know, the, the manuscript guidelines and the style of the journal, then it's a lot easier for me to review. Uh, and especially, of course, it's um, within the scope of my knowledge of methods and, and topic. Um, so, uh, yeah, definitely I, I have built a familiarity with certain journals and I feel much more comfortable um, reviewing for them. So, you know, in those times where I can't accept everything, um, perhaps I'll, I'll be more inclined to, to accept from those journals. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, like time, it's really important. I mean, uh, as I used to say, it's, you know, there is a season for everything in academia. You know, there are certain months uh, when you will be, you know, just uh, preoccupied by teaching, marking that you can't really do any peer review, but there there will be a time when you it's more likely that you can take on some review work. Um, I, I just want to add one more point, if I may, Shannon. Uh, yeah, for for 
ECRs who have never done it before, some of them may may may, may feel like uh, you're obliged to to do it because you're invited. Even though it says it's an invitation and you can accept a decline, but people may feel bad declining it and may may think that oh, oh what what will the editor think of me, right? Or or they think that oh because the editor found me, then then they must think that I'm a suitable candidate, right? Or else they won't approach me. The reality is, of course, you you possess a certain level of expertise or your research is related to the manuscript to a certain extent. But um, especially in, in, nowadays, it's very difficult to find peer reviewers and editors. They may resort to finding people whose expertise may not a hundred percent align with the manuscript. Right? I, I I review for a journal who actually said that you know even though it's not within your expertise, just read it as a reader and offer us comments. I mean, I I don't comment on this kind of practice, but I'm just saying that. Uh, this is the the reality. So don't feel obliged to accept. Um, you have to review yourself, your situation, uh, uh, to see whether you're. I mean, you think you can handle it. And as as Shen said, there is also some journals they have this function of suggesting alternatives. Yeah. So even though you cannot uh, accept it, maybe you know somebody who is very familiar with this topic or they may be willing to take it to take up this task then you can recommend them so don't feel bad when you have to reject an invitation um, so now we are entering the uh, the part where we talk about feedback which is I think a very crucial component in peer review. So as an ECR, imagine I have received my first invitation. I accepted it. I got all excited. I read the manuscript. I started composing my feedback. What should be the focus of my feedback? Yeah, it can be kind of a daunting uh, 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 prospect. And I know that the first uh, invitation that I received, there were no guidelines from the journal. There are some journals that will give you a guideline. They have specific questions or specific areas they want you to focus on, uh, and maybe you actually have to rate and comment on those specifically. Uh, but if not, in any case, I think what you're doing is you're looking at the manuscript as a whole, and you're looking at the man- the different, um, you know, the 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 elements of of the manuscript. So when you start with the literature review, is it wide ranging? Is it uh, strong engagement, a critical engagement with the literature? Are the key concepts defined uh, in the methods? You're looking at transparency and, uh, you know, a detailed explanation of the processes of data collection and analysis in the interpretations. Are they related to the to the methods? Uh, you're looking at at all of the different elements of the paper and and how it all fits together and how that uh, is a fit for that particular journal and and their or, and their audience. But I think if we step back a little bit, what what really we are focusing on is I think two things, and one is we're looking to I guess establish the quality of the research, and I use the word quality because. Uh, you know, the, how quality is measured is, is different depending on the methods, whether it's reliability or credibility or generalizability. Um, but we're looking to see the, the quality of the research and whether it's 
uh, you know, of value to be to be published, if, if it's publishable or not. And then what we're also looking at, I think, is to look for areas of weakness that can be strengthened within the paper. So focusing on the perhaps the areas that are not so strong, but that you can suggest areas for for there to be to be some development there. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you, uh, your response is pretty uh, comprehensive already. I, I think I, I really like what you said about focusing on the whole picture as well as uh, specific parts uh, of, of the work. I think um, another thing I would just add is when we focus on the weaknesses, um, we always have to think about uh, how constructive our comments are. I mean, of course, we want to focus on strengths and weaknesses, but, uh, but a lot of the time we are tempted, or I don't know whether it's a tendency as a human being to kind of point out flaws or, you know, they just appear to be so obvious um, that sometimes we forget after pointing out the so-called, the, the so-called flaws or mistakes or limitations, we, it is part of our job to provide suggestions because, you know, the, the peer review process is all about improving the quality of the work. It's not, it's, it's, it's partly summative, I know, but, but I think the formative part is, it's really important. So we, we don't want to forget to just say, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, these are all bad. Uh, but how can the author um, improve, right? So I, I think that that's uh, another very important area that we want to focus on. And speaking from a person who is not, a native English speaker, I think um, sometimes I had experience when reviewers said, you know, you should proofread your work. You know, I, I had very interesting experiences. Some reviewers said your English is fabulous. Some re- reviewers said you, you have to double check your work. But anyways, I mean, but the, 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 the main focus of your feedback as a peer reviewer uh, should not be uh, to check errors. I mean, language errors. I mean, if, if there are... Uh, errors that impede understanding or you you know you you have no idea what the person is saying because of language you have to flag it you have to erase it but if if overall you kind of understand it it's it's not really our job to point out every single error i mean we can say in general like okay uh, i i feel like proofreading needs to be done more seriously here are some examples of errors but our primary role is not to check the language do you agree Shannon? yeah i, I absolutely and I, I think perhaps it's something that many ecrs do is they tend to focus on the small things and it's a, it's a big waste of our time as well um, but it's not our job we're not proofreaders and the other thing is that we're also not really co-authors so what I'll often do is um, ask questions back to the to the authors um, with you know with suggestions of, of things that I that I think need to be more focused on rather than giving the answers if you know what I mean. So, yeah, and, and the, that uh, giving, ex- for example, here's one example that I'm going to point out as a weakness, but actually there's more and, and it's your job to, 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 uh, to attend to those. Yeah, so, and that goes back to the timing aspect as well. And actually, I want to add just one more point. When we talk about focus, I think it's really important that we always focus on the manuscript where we're assessing the 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 manuscript and the and the research 
and not making judgments on the the person or of the authors or the the author. Uh, and we know that there are sometimes reviewers who get a bit too personal and, you know, we really have to step back. There, there is obviously a person who's written this, but our focus should be on the, on the manuscript itself. So how long should my reviewer's report be? It's a very interesting question. I think this is a question I would ask when I started reviewing for the first time. Uh, but now I, I'm thinking whether it's, the best question to ask why i say yeah why i say this is because length may not be the most important consideration um you know it depends on the manuscript it depends on the decision it depends on the rounds of review uh, certainly a manuscript that warrants a minor revision, uh, the report will be shorter than the report for a major revision. So so it, it, it may not be the best question to ask, but I think uh, what we are looking for is how comprehensive our report is, whether we address, as, as Shannon said, different aspects of the study, different sections of the study. For me, I think it may be more useful to share with you the structure of my report instead of saying how long. Actually, actually, Shannon, we, we in our study, we actually looked at the number of words, but uh, I, I, I'm not sure whether maybe it's not the most meaningful way because different people will have, you know, different ways of structuring the report. So how I how I structured mine is like this. So I will first start with um, a short paragraph summarizing what the study is. Uh, the reason why I did this uh, is not because uh, I, I, I need to summarize it, it's because I want to show uh, the editor the author that I have read your whole work and this is my understanding, right? Um, so that's the first part of short paragraph. And then I will have like three to four bullet points. It, these, these are like the main reasons why I reject, why I accept, why I ask for a major re revision. So they are general remarks. Uh, th these are mostly for the editors, I think, to kind of give them my my standpoint, uh, standpoints, and also to give the uh, authors the focus, like what am I looking for, basically. And then I will have section by section feedback uh, in bullet points. So these are very specific uh, feedback. I will point to a specific paragraph, a specific sentence, um, and ask for changes or ask for clarification. And then uh, at the at the very end, then I would just end by saying, you know, I hope these points could uh, help you reconsider uh, your work. You know, something like this. So uh, I know, Shannon, I, I deviated a little bit from the question. So it's like, how long is a piece of string? It really just depends. Uh, yeah, and, you know, I think people want a number, though. I, th I think it's like, am I not doing enough or am I doing too much? And, yeah, I think I think you've got it right. And if you're not focusing on the tiny little, uh, you know, trivial things and you're, you're not going too much into a kind of a co-author role of trying to change everything, but you're, you're giving a balance of strengths and and constructive uh, suggestions for improvement, then that's the link that it needs to be, I think, whatever whatever that ends up being. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, another thing I, I – uh, another reason why I think a uh, number of words may not be that useful is, for example, 
the typical length of my report is over a thousand words, and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean I did a good job. It just means because sometimes you know I can't mark my comments on the PDF, right? I have to submit a separate report, and I want my feedback to be specific. And sometimes you know, Shan, how those line numbers work—they don't really work. Uh, uh, so, so sometimes, in addition to the page number and the line number, I will actually copy the sentence. Right uh, from the manuscript, and that's why my report is longer. It doesn't mean I, you know, I, I write a lot. So I, I don't really think uh, we should concern too much about the number of words. We should concern whether we have covered uh, the different aspects uh, of a study, whether we have addressed uh, the, the the assessment criteria uh, of the journal. And sometimes, Shen, some journals ask us to fill in boxes. Uh, they have they have a set of questions. So if we have done those already, then our report may be even shorter because we have already addressed those in those questions. So where can I get more information about being a peer reviewer, uh, especially if I want to look at examples of good feedback? Uh, where where should I look for those uh, details? Yeah, I think this is a re- it's a little bit problematic. I mean, a lot of reviews are blind, and it happens behind closed doors, and that's for good reason. Um, but in the other sense, ECRs and even established researchers, we don't get to see other people's reviews uh, very often. What what I'd suggest just to begin with is to go back and look at all the reviews that you've received. Um, look at them. I think if there's been a little bit of time uh, between you receiving, you can look at it again in a kind of a different light and look at it as a document and look at whether you like the way that they've set out and the way that they've, um, you know, uh, communicated their suggestions. Uh, If you uh, review for some journals, what they will do when the uh, round of review is finished they will send you a, a copy of the uh, of the reviews from all of the reviewers, so you get to kind of see um, what uh, what other reviewers have said about the same manuscript. And for me, this is probably one of the best uh, you know sources of learning for me to to get to see other people's reviews on the same manuscript and kind of compare you know how how I've how I've uh, set out and and what I've focused on. But also there are a lot of uh, online free courses now. Um, a lot of the big publishers, Publons also has some free courses. So uh, I don't know to what extent they're actually sharing examples of reviews, but certainly um, they'd be giving lots of advice and tips on, on how to on how to review. Yeah, I agree uh, with with your points. I think that goes back to our first question. I mean, why uh, why should I become a peer reviewer? Uh, and one of the reasons, obviously, would be you may have a chance to read other reviewers' comments because some journals will send you a report, a compiled report. Um, I think another avenue to kind of uh, uh, you know look into this process uh, is uh, Twitter. Uh, Right, as we advertised in our previous episode, our platform, uh, scholarly peers, is only one of those platforms which is set up. I mean, there are different platforms on peer review, they concern peer reviews, and sometimes people post 
uh, their experiences, but I would say mostly negative experiences. Am I right, Shannon? When they share, like, yeah, comment? <laughs> I, think, I think so. I mean, occasionally there'll be a nice one, but it will be like, oh, look, has an exception to the rule. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know whether it, it's reflecting the reality or, you know, people are just upset so they want to share with other people. But, I mean, that's one of the avenues on Twitter. Some people, uh, they will share the piece of feedback they received and then, you know, they, they, their feelings about it. So that may be one one of the ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people, a lot of people do uh, ask questions. Like, I've seen this question recently, how do I become a peer reviewer? Uh, some of the questions that we've uh, asked today, we've, we, you know, we've searched Twitter and to see what people are asking. So if someone else is asking, there is people underneath the comment answering. So you can take a look or, or ask yourself. And there, there's a lot of advice online, I think. So like last uh, podcast, we ended with some tips. So what are your top tips for giving feedback to authors? I think something that we haven't touched on so far is the emotional and relational aspect of feedback. To me, this is a very, very important aspect of feedback, not just to authors, peer reviewers, but to anybody receiving feedback, because you are essentially communicating with another human being and you are making judgment, you are being critical. Um, It's important to convey our ideas clearly uh, in a structured manner, it's equally important to consider the feelings of the of the recipients. And by considering the feeling, I don't mean like we have to sugarcoat our feedback. We have to say something that we don't mean it, or we have to be very lenient with our uh, feedback. I mean, we have to be a critical friend uh, to the author. So we have to be candid with our feedback. But at the same time, the tone is very important. So you don't always you don't always want to give instructions or commands like uh, the author should do this, the author must do this, or it is unacceptable for the authors to miss this. You know, it, it's all about the tone. There there are various ways to say the same thing, but uh, it's important for us to be professional, uh, as uh, Shannon said, uh, to to focus on the manuscript, not on the person. And I think it's especially important we make our appreciation uh, very explicit because unlike other forms of feedback like what we do in the classroom we don't see the face of each other we don't know each other so all those emotional gestures uh signposts have to be done in a very very uh, explicit way i think something i learned from you shan is that you, you i remember you told me in in our uh, when we shared about our experiences is that you would always say at the very end you know uh, you, you you would love to read the revised paper and you know give feedback further you know kind of ha- ending the report uh, in an encouraging tone I, I think this is something very important yeah i i think that i would just say that you're right i when I reject a paper, I don't do it lightly. I don't enjoy it. And I, you know, I take a, I do take a lot of time. My reports seem to be longer uh, when it's a rejection, even for major revisions, because I'm really trying to think, as you said, there is a person there. I don't know who they are. It, it really shouldn't matter who they are, but I'll always think, well, they may be an ECA, they may be a doctoral student, they may be dependent on this publication. 
Um, and so, yeah, I take a lot of care. I make sure that I thank the authors. You know, if it's a rejection, I, I, you know, it has promise. And if I hope that, you know, if you, you know, take on some of these suggestions that you can improve and it can eventually find its home. Um, yeah, but I, I think it's kind of that balance of being um, critical and honest and direct, but also a little bit of kindness goes a long way and sometimes it's not there in academia. So we, we can we can show that as reviewers. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So returning to our question, the title of the podcast, Shannon, can and should ECRs be peer reviewers? What will be your final remark on this? Absolutely. Uh, you know, some people say there's no reward in it. You know, you don't get paid for it. Um, but there are a lot of rewards, I think, in your development as a researcher and your membership as in the academic community. And that's something that it's that's really uh, brought me, uh, you know, being really closely involved in uh, in journal communities. So, yeah, my answer is yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's absolutely the right answer and just go for it just be pro- proactive and just give it a go um so that's all the time unfortunately we have on this topic there there's so much more that we can talk about shen and i uh but we are happy to continue uh, this conversation with you on twitter or, or any other uh, means and avenues in the future so thank you for tuning in thank you for joining us and hopefully we can talk about it some other time Thanks for listening to the Beerah Podcast. For the latest news on Beerah events and activities, visit www.beerah.ac.uk.